Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. It's time for another Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and as always, I thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us on the show. Certainly right now, uh, there's a lot of reasons to want to be listening to Political Rewind, given the intense battle that has already begun uh, between David Perdue and Brian Kemp. It didn't take long after Perdue made his formal announcement for this campaign to turn really ugly. Uh, Kemp and Purdue, old friends, are butting heads violently, and as they fight for the Republican nomination for governor, and it's put Republicans across the state in uh, difficult positions as they uh, try to maneuver through this contest that is going to start unfolding, moving toward the primary next spring. Uh, that's one of the subjects, of course, we're going to spend some time on with our panel today, so let me introduce them. Tamar Hallerman is with us. She's a senior reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and joins us for our Tuesday shows. Uh, Tamar, uh, Republicans may be concerned and worried about how this primary campaign is going to affect all of them, uh, but for political journalists, this is like living the a huge life, as big a life as you possibly could ask for. <laughs> Literally every couple of minutes, there's just something that I, I just feel like I, there's so <clears throat> much to capture your attention. There's so much nastiness already and so many different interviews and comments, and it's hard to keep track of it all, but that's what makes it so much fun to do this job. Yeah, Stephen Fowler, a political reporter for GPB News, you're with us, of course, today, too. And I want to be careful, and I think Tamara would say the same thing. We're not suggesting that this notion of ugly, ugly partisan fights is something that we, that we all want to see. But it is true that the dynamic uh, between Kemp and Purdue is really fascinating to watch unfold as it will tell us something about the future of the Republic Republican Party in Georgia and across the country, Stephen. Right. I mean, Georgia has been at the epicenter of the political discussion <clears throat> for almost going on four years now, it seems. And so, yes, it would be nice to have campaigns that are focused on policies where we can just nerd out about different things that affect Georgians' life. But from the political reporting perspective, what happens in Georgia exists far beyond the boundaries of our state as far as how politics is going to go. Well, thank you for uh, joining us uh, today, too, because I know you have already be begun covering this contest and will continue to in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, state Representative Sam Park, Democrat from Lawrenceville, is back with us. Sam, we haven't had you on in a while, but I'm awfully glad you're here today. How are you doing? Good morning, Bill. Always a pleasure to be with you. Um, you know, you're in the middle of Gwinnett County, which is now firmly in the hands of Democrats. But um, at some point during the show today, I think I need to get your read on what's happening in the 7th District, where you're going to have an interesting battle on your hands, too. Um, now that Lucy McBath, who has lost the Democratic majority in the 6th District, is going to move over to the 7th to take on Carolyn uh, Bordeaux. Um, you're ready to talk about that, aren't you, Sam? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. I saved for last Leo Smith, longtime Republican political consultant, formerly 
uh, on the staff of the state Republican Party, where he worked on engagement uh, with uh, minority communities. Uh, Leo, you left the party, uh, at least formally, in the, the role you were in to start your own organization, uh, Engaged Futures, the Engaged Futures Group. Um, and, and it's interesting to have you on, of course, today, um, because you're one of those Republicans who has to figure out where you're headed, but you have, you have not been, uh, for any number of years now, much of a fan of Donald Trump's, Leo. <laughs> no, I haven't, even after introducing him at the Fox Theater to uh, Georgia. Um, I'm uh, in the camp of pro-democracy. Okay. Well, thank you for being here today. All right, tomorrow, let's get right to it. Um, why don't we do this? Why don't we listen to a little bit of sound from uh, both uh, Purdue and then Kemp and uh, start our conversation by hearing what some of the things they've had to say. Um, in his announcement video yesterday, David Perdue uh, talked about um, his animosity toward Stacey Abrams, who he hopes he'll be able to run against in the general election campaign, but also explained why he was running against Brian Kemp. So let's listen first to David Perdue. Make no mistake, Abrams will smile, lie, and cheat to transform Georgia into her radical vision of a state that would look more like California or New York. To fight back, we simply have to be united. Unfortunately, today, we are divided, and Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger are to blame. Look, I like Brian. This isn't personal. It's simple. He has failed all of us and cannot win in November. Instead of protecting our elections, he caved to Abrams and cost us two Senate seats, the Senate majority, and gave Joe Biden free reign. Think about how different it would be today if Kemp had fought Abrams first instead of fighting Trump. Kemp caved before the election, and the country is paying the price today. Um, so we'll hold off on Kemp for just a minute and unpack a little of that uh, tomorrow. Uh, w when he talks about uh, Kemp caving before the election, he is not uh, presumably talking about Kemp refusing to, to support Donald Trump's allegations that Georgia was stolen from him, but rather the fact that the state signed an agreement with Stacey Abrams' organization that uh, many Republicans, an election agreement that many Republicans feel uh, was uh, unfair to Republicans, didn't, uh, they didn't, the governor and his people didn't ask for input uh, from others. So, uh, but he nevertheless is saying that Brian Kemp is to blame for John Ossoff, Joe Biden, and Raphael Warnock. Tamar? And never mind, I mean, he's not mentioning the fact that he was the one who, who lost to um, John Ossoff. Um, you know, he was he was the candidate in that race. Um, that line that it isn't personal, I like Brian Kemp, uh, certainly made me chuckle. Of course, this is personal, and it's going to get even more personal. Um, you know, the, the Purdue's and the Kemp's go back so far. Um, you know, to a certain degree, Brian Kemp can kind of credit that first lift in his career when he was appointed Secretary of State in 2010 to Sonny Purdue, David Purdue's first cousin, and they've been allied ever since. Um, it was the Purdue's uh, David and Sonny who um, kind of convinced Donald Trump to endorse <laughs> Brian Kemp in the 2018 primary runoff against Casey Cagle. Um, and it just goes to show how nasty 
uh, and personal all of this is going to be. It's going to be very interesting to see if Brian Kemp withdraws his support for Sonny Perdue, um, you know, to, to lead the Board of Regents uh, for the state of Georgia. And that's going to be a dynamic, certainly, to watch in the year ahead. Stephen? So I, this consent decree is nothing like what most Trump supporters, David Perdue and others, says it does. The governor had nothing to do with it. Basically, the state was being sued. The secretary of state's office was being sued over how they handled rejections of signatures on the outside of an absentee ballot envelope. Uh, the Democrats said that the way they were doing it resulted in more people having things being rejected. So part of the settlement of this lawsuit was the state sending out a bulletin and directing county officials to do things slightly differently and to, um, you know, still actually do the cursory, the more than cursory checks. So this didn't change anything about how signatures are being done. And it really just shows that for now, the only plank that we have on David Perdue's platform is pushing false claims about the election and attacking Brian Kemp. Well, yes, and but Stephen, I, I just tell me what you think about this. Um, I, I don't think David Perdue expects people are going to drill down into the complex, sort of complex story that you just told. I think he is more than happy uh, to play into that narrative that Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger refused to support Donald Trump's effort to overturn the results of George's election, right? Well, right. And I mean, David Perdue also said, over my dead body, will we let Stacey Abrams be in charge of elections again? A, she was never in charge of elections. But again, the people he's speaking to don't know or care about that. B, the rhetoric about over my dead body, especially considering what happened January 6th at the nation's capital and some of the threats that election workers have faced in and around Georgia and other places, is a bit concerning for somebody who should theoretically have the decorum having been a U.S. senator, to know that his words have power. Leo, um, I, I wonder, you, you, you can weigh in on any of this, of course, but, but I, let me add one element here. Um, the Democrats and the rest of the state were waiting for weeks and weeks, if not longer, for Stacey Abrams to declare her candidacy. And there were even those who wondered if, in fact, she was going to enter the governor's race, given her national prominence, the fact she'd been spending a lot of time traveling around the country. So I wonder if it was coincidence that David Perdue launched his campaign within days after Stacey Abrams did. It seemed once we knew she was in the race, uh, the Trump-Purdue urgency to get in may have uh, just picked up a notch. Do you, do you think that's, that's correct? Oh, no, no, without a doubt. I mean, when you have uh, <laughs> the oppositional party getting big headlines with the national star, you certainly want to steal some of that steam away and, and get your time on Fox News and other national media, um, up, you know, as the opposition. So that was well-timed by the Purdue team, which, you know, it's a pretty sophisticated team and just coming off the Senate um, campaign. And these are nationalized races. Um, and we just learned that Trump and the uh, Republican Party itself um, are further nationalizing the race with these PACs that are coming in. We saw in the last cycle, including uh, even Lindsey Graham having a PAC involved in Georgia. We saw, uh, you know, the, the Republican Party of Georgia raise over $2 million for itself just by um, supporting the Senate uh, run of David Perdue. So we cannot, you know, sort of 
detach ourselves from the fact that politics requires money. The Georgia GOP has been struggling financially for quite a long time. Trump comes in, brings in all kinds of, of, of entertainment-based politics into the party, such that in its metrics report, the Georgia GOP chairman actually featured himself as a pundit on uh, Fox News um, talking about fake fraud. So we've sort of created this whole um, circus um, amongst conservatism that is not about policy, not about conservative values, but about fundraising through politics as a consumption uh, product called entertainment. Sam Park, uh, Democrats, after the Purdue announcement, uh, there was a statement issued by somebody in the state party saying uh, that this news about Purdue was jaw-dropping. Um, give us your reflections on it as a Democrat who obviously is going to be working for the election of Democrats up and down uh, the ballot next year. So I think the entrance of uh, David Perdue into the Republican gubernatorial primary really, in my opinion, highlights the unity within Georgia Democrats in which, you know, no Democrat would even announce running for um, governor um, with the understanding that Stacey, especially given all of the work that she's put in over the past decade and more uh, into serving Georgians and in terms of putting people first and focusing on good public policy uh, for the benefit of all Georgians. Um, and, and you know, we'll, we'll see how the Republican primary plays out. I think either which way, um, you know, Georgia Democrats will again be focused on delivering for the people of Georgia as they've done in electing Senator Warnock and Ossoff um, to the U.S. Senate. All right, so um, let's listen to Brian Kemp. Now, um, the uh, sound we're gonna hear from Brian Kemp is from the Eric Erickson Show. And in this particular soundbite, he talks about uh, the positive things he believes he and his administration have accomplished. But certainly, certainly, the Kemp campaign has uh, really unleashed some attacks on David Purdue, among other things, saying that this is an ego-driven effort by Purdue to make up for the fact that he lost to John Ossoff in the uh, Senate runoff in January. But, Tamar, let's listen to what Kemp had to say uh, talking to Eric Erickson about the race. I've been in the fight against her when she was trying to push and get the all-star game moved before she wasn't. And I've stood up and pushed back against the woke cancel culture. And we're going to be reminding people of all of those issues, as well as our fight to make sure that people are safe during COVID. And, and uh, you know, we passed over 52 health care bills, given the largest teacher pay raise in state history. We fought to get rid of ridiculous testing in our schools and make sure our kids are not indoctrinated by CRT and other things. And we're going to keep doing that. Uh, Tamar, lots of buzzwords in there. Woke. Uh, getting rid of uh, critical race theory, among other things. Uh, but let's face it. I mean, you may not believe that Kemp did a good job with COVID-19. You may think he did all right. You you have to say the economy is moving forward. It isn't as if he isn't going to have a record to run on, certainly one that Democrats will attack, but one that in a Republican contest could serve him pretty well. I mean, because when you look on the, the policy front, especially when you think of kind of the Trump base that's upset with Kemp, they're not angry at him because of his policies. And it's going to be harder for them to criticize him on that. It's the fact that he didn't um, 
kind of stick himself shoulder to shoulder with Donald Trump and exactly what, what the then president was asking him to do in the aftermath of the elections. So that's exactly what, um, you know, David Perdue is going to be hitting him on. It's going to be harder to differentiate one another on policy because for the most part, they're, they're pretty aligned. What's interesting from Kemp and, and this kind of volley of attacks that we've seen from groups allied with him over the last 24 hours, so the things that they're hitting David Perdue on are not all that different from the things that John Ossoff and the Democrats were hitting him on last year on, on the campaign trail. And it goes to show how nasty this is going to get. Stephen? So, you know, I mean, Brian Kemp is the first lifelong Republican governor of Georgia since Reconstruction. Uh, there is no doubt about his conservative bona fides. When you look at what he's done in his you know, years in office so far, he signed in a very aggressive abortion restriction law. He signed a very expansive election overhaul that uh, brought new voting systems in and made changes, but also signed an overhaul that uh, cracked down on a lot of things that Democrats say you know, restrict access to the polls. I mean, he's tackled things like rural, uh, rural job growth, uh, criminal gangs, uh, human trafficking. Like, there really shouldn't be a reason that Brian Kemp faces such high-profile opposition except for, like Tamar said, the 2020 election. At a rally in Perry in September, Trump said, we never forget about 2020. We're never going to forget. And that's 100 percent what Purdue's campaign is about, and that's 100 percent what this attack on Kemp by this campaign is going to be. But I don't think there are going to be 50 percent plus one Republican primary voters that will look at the 2020 election results over all of the things that Brian Kemp has done as a conservative Republican to kick him out as the nominee for the party. So uh, I want to pursue that. But, Sam, before I do, I want to hear what you think when you hear Brian Kemp uh, talk about his record so positively. So, uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin says, well done is better than well said. And the results speak for themselves. <laughs> Uh, Georgia has one of the highest uninsured rates in the nation, regardless of who the Republican nominee for governor is. You know, Republican policies have continued to fail the people of Georgia. Uh, Republicans have blocked access to health care for hundreds of thousands of Georgians. Billions of dollars are coming into the state uh, that would have strengthened Georgia's health care infrastructure. Under Republican administrations over the past 20 years, they have underfunded. Uh, K through 12 public education for 18 out of those 20 years. Um, and so regardless, I think, um, and politics aside, if you focus on the public policy and focus on their actual actions, not these fabricated, nonsense-related, politicized issues, um, you know, I'm fully committed, and I hope other Georgians are also fully committed in electing leaders who will actually focus on people's best interests. All right, so so Leo, uh, going back just to the to the fact that one of these two uh, men is going to end up running against Stacey Abrams, uh, we should point out that Eric Erickson has said what uh, Stephen and Tamar basically said, which is there's no real rationale for a Purdue candidacy other than the whole notion that George's election was stolen and that somehow it was Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger's fault, not only that Joe Biden was declared the winner here, but that John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock uh, put the uh, uh, Democrats in charge of the U.S. Senate. Leo, we also have Mike Pence, who has not commented specifically on this new race, but has said he plans to support 
incumbent governors next year. The head of the uh, Republican Governors Association has also said we support incumbents without commenting specifically on Brian Kemp. Is this where does this leave you as a Republican in terms of watching Purdue and Kemp? Now, let me be clear. Governor Brian Kemp, as a conservative policymaker, as somebody who is pro-business, pro-choice, uh, pro-pro-individual uh, choice in how you live your life, um, pro-opportunity, uh, that made this state a place where people continue to migrate from, even migrating from blue states. So this is not the horrible state that some people like to present it as. He has been a good conservative governor that's created a lot of opportunity, liberty, and freedom in this state. Now, on the other issue, why would Purdue do this? Because Donald Trump told them to. <laughs> he invented. And he probably promised him something when Donald Trump runs again in 2024 or makes himself the kingmaker for presidency. They are depending on Democrats to continue to um, run campaigns in which they talk about things that will lead to Stacey Abrams and Joe Biden being weak in 2024. A lot of people are playing the long game and waiting for Donald Trump to give them authority in 2024. That's, what, that's the only reason why Purdue, who claims that he does not like divisiveness and wants to unify, will come in and create divisiveness. And I mean, it just, it's not logical for a man of his acumen to do this, except that he wants to be part of the system that is a big lie, that is making a lot of money for political consultants who are engaging and complicit in spreading the big lie um, about fake fraud in the election, uh, about this uh, presidency of Joe Biden that they will not give uh, credence to. So now you've got people sort of helping each other. The party, David Schaefer, you've got now you've got to bring other people in here who can validate this for you. Uh, to bring in Senator Purdue to help validate it further. And Donald Trump is the one that's pulling everybody into validating um, this this problem that he has uh, with losing an election. Yeah, but so far, uh, Stephen, we have not seen that scenario played out, uh, to the best of my knowledge. I mean, David Schaefer uh, has, I think, his first thought re- reaction to this has been, you know, he wants to stay out of this fight. Um, for the time being. Uh, we know that Herschel Walker's campaign has already said we're focused on our own efforts to uh, elect Herschel Walker uh, to the United States uh, Senate. You have other candidates on the Republican primary ballot, up and down the ballot in statewide races, who right now are saying nothing about this. I, I mean, it looks like everybody for the time being is kind of protecting themselves as they watch how this may unfold. Stephen, have I got that wrong? I mean, I have not seen or heard of anyone with any prominence say they are for a David Perdue candidacy. Uh, Couldn't tell you who his campaign staff is. There's not a spokesman, there's no spokesperson that's come out and said, you know, I am the contact for this campaign. There's not support for this campaign in a public manner beyond uh, Donald Trump and Sean Hannity. Uh, with Governor Kemp, there have been people that have spoken out. He's got the support of a lot of state lawmakers. He has the support of a massive number of local county commissioners and city councilors and mayors and people across the state. Uh, I think as we head into this legislative session, you may see some of that play out more because uh, other people are a little less stable when it comes to winning a primary either facing a challenge from the Trump-backed 
portion of there or, you know, facing against incumbents. So I think while it might not be there present, I think there's still a lot of support for Brian Kemp and Vernon Jones. I mean, Vernon Jones is has been the the Trumpy alternative to Brian Kemp this whole time. And there's nothing really at this point to indicate that David Perdue is going to take that many people away from Vernon Jones' base of support. Yeah, thank you for clarifying, because that's how I should have framed that in the first place. It's that David Perdue, we have not heard a lot of people lining up. We do know that there are any number of people who have said that they support uh, Brian Kemp's campaign. He's gotten a great many endorsements from individuals, uh, Republicans, as well as from the Georgia uh, Chamber of Commerce. So it's but it's the Perdue people who have so far not amassed any support. Tomorrow, before we go to break, just in terms of of what uh, Stephen said about the structure of a Purdue campaign, I talked to one uh, important uh, Republican uh, yesterday who wants to be anonymous, who said uh, that they were very disappointed. This is somebody who's been close to David Purdue and said was, was very disappointed that this person never got a call from Purdue as Purdue was contemplating getting into the race, didn't and felt um, that that was something Purdue uh, should have been doing. Um, but it appears that David Purdue's uh, most important supporter is uh, Donald Trump, uh, not this particular Republican donor, and maybe others like this person. And that shows just how much Republican politics has shifted over the last five years. Um, whereas uh, David Perdue was uh, very much kind of aligned with, you know, the Republican powers that be in the state over the last several years. Now, frankly, the only endorsement that matters is Donald Trump. And even though somebody like David, or sorry, like Brian Kemp, has been able to get endorsements from people like Insurance Commissioner John King, AG Chris Carr. Um, you know, that does not hold the same weight as somebody like Donald Trump, who still has the, the support of something like 80 percent of Republicans in Georgia based on some of the polling that that we've done. Uh, that carries a lot of money. That carries a lot of grassroots support. And so it'll be interesting to see how how much that'll translate in terms of fundraising and momentum going forward. And I do want to, before we go, just fact check something I said really quick at the beginning of the show. I said that uh, Brian Kemp was advocating for Sonny Perdue to, to be a, serve on the Board of Regents, and it was actually uh, chancellor of the state's higher education system. So I'm yeah, sorry about chan- that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, no, no problem. Thank you for that. All right, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. When we come back, let's hear where uh, Stacey Abrams stands in the middle of this new uh, and ugly Republican fight. We'll be right back. State Republic, State Democratic Representative Sam Park of Lawrenceville is with us. Stephen Fowler, political reporter for GPB News. Tamar Hallerman, senior reporter at the AJC. And Leo Smith, Republican consultant and the president of the Engaged Futures Group. Uh, all right, let's do this. Sam Park, uh, Stacey Abrams announced her candidacy late last week, uh, releasing a video and I want to play just a little bit of what she had to say in that video and then talk about her messaging. Our values are still strong. No matter where we come from in Georgia or how long we've been here, we believe in this place and our people. Folks who deserve to be seen and heard and have a voice. Because in the end, 
we are one Georgia. Regardless of the pandemic or the storms, the obstacles in our way or the forces determined to divide us. All right, Sam Park, you're the Democrat on the panel today. What do you think of this positive message? It appears, I've said this on the show since the day that uh, Abrams announced, it appears this notion of one Georgia uniting us is going to be a theme that she will use consistently. consistently. The question is, given how toxic our politics are right now, do people in Georgia want to see us all be united again? So I, I think uh, Stacey's messaging is very much in line with the Stacey that I first met almost 10 years ago when I interned for her um, when she was minority leader of the Georgia House. Um, she's always been focused on serving people um, and not just people of a certain political persuasion or of a certain race, but all Georgians. Um, and and her again, her actions uh, speak uh, for herself. I mean, she's been focused on trying to expand uh, access to health care in Georgia to fully fund K-12 education. And I think the, the desire to bring people together is so needed, especially in this moment of divisiveness. I hope more leaders will lean into that kind of rhetoric, because I think especially in Georgia and in this country, um, you know, it, it's that notion of united we stand, divided we fall. Stephen? So, you know, the the takeaway from Abrams launch video for the second run for governor is not necessarily that it's a different campaign than the first time, because it's it's the same Stacey Abrams. It's a lot of the same uh, platforms and policies, but the messaging really looks like it's going to meet the moment of Georgia and meet the moment of where we are politically in a very different way, uh, you know, Stacey Abrams was uh, very good at uniting Republicans against her in 2018, and she's potentially going to be good at uniting Republicans against her in 2022. But the campaign takeaway from that launch so far is that Stacey Abrams is going, she's positioning herself as doing the job of what Republican leaders in the state should be doing. It looks like she's going to focus a lot on rural Georgia, on issues affecting Georgians of both political parties, and really, uh, despite the national figure that she's crafted for herself, this looks like it will be a very Georgia-specific campaign that might resonate a little different when you've got the fight between Purdue and Trump and Kemp. You know, well, not a ton about what's going on nationally, um, which is kind of smart right now, considering Joe Biden's lower uh, approval ratings, at least at the moment. She doesn't have a Republican foil like Donald Trump in the White House. Um, so, so yeah, I agree with Stephen. It is looking like she'll she'll focus kind of more on the state issues. Um, and frankly, right now, with David Perdue jumping into the race, her job gets a whole lot easier for the next six months. She can sit back a little bit and let the two of them kind of duke it out. You even heard a comment from an anonymous uh, Democrat that my colleague Greg Bluestein included in a story saying it's pretty amazing when you see somebody like Kemp using Democratic oppo research um, that they had dug up against David Perdue in the Ossoff race to kind of recycle it once again for this gubernatorial race. She can sit back and let them kind of weaken one another. Um, and whoever comes out of this primary or, or potentially even a primary runoff is going to be weakened. And then she'll be able to kind of jump in. This allows her to kind of message on her terms, sit back, fundraise, unify her party, and then kind of come on strong in the new year. Leo? 
Yeah, I think this is one of the tragedies of having David Perdue getting in the race. I know for a fact, and I had this direct conversation with our governor, uh, Governor Brian Kemp, that his intention at this time was that he, this was a year and a half, two years ago, I had this conversation with him, and he wanted to have a Georgia United-type uh, aspirational message that Stacey Abrams just delivered. That's what he wanted to be doing at this time. But instead, um, he's been forced by David Perdue to, to get into this scorched earth context and to deal with Donald Trump's attack. Um, and, and this is just horrible conservatism for conservatism. It's hor- horrible for small-D democracy because we won't, on the Republican side, talk about the good policy record that some conservative leadership has done. And we won't be able to really focus on challenging the Biden and, and uh, Stacey Abrams sort of progressive movement ideas. And that's really unfortunate for the people because we won't have a competition of ideas. So we can't just get into this fantasy that we have a united Georgia. We do not. And someone needs to be working on that. And uh, neither candidate is really truly doing that. And, you know, you look at uh, headlines right now and you've got Trump hammering an incumbent conservative governor and talking about infighting and talking about 2020, which in Georgia particular, the results were counted three separate times. So there's probably a lot of fatigue and little patience for most Georgians to rehash 2020 and all of these false claims of fraud. You see that, and then you see, I read this morning, a story from Albany where John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock were touting funding for rural hospitals and clinics and healthcare and things. Those are the types of headlines that Republicans would and should use to show the message that they have for rural Georgia and for the entire state. But instead, we've got all this infighting and bickering going, and the Democrats are using this to take what is not going over well nationally and really make it work here in Georgia. Sam Park, to some extent, this is deja vu. This is uh, the fact that Doug Collins decided to challenge Kelly Leffler for the seat in the U.S. Senate uh, last November, and their fight to, to uh, move to each of them moving as far to the right as possible, they really attacked each other uh, pretty aggressively. And, and in the long run, uh, it cost, or maybe it was one of the reasons Republicans lost the chance to win uh, uh, that, that uh, Kelly Leffler seat in the U.S. Senate. I mean, the, the parallels are, are fairly clear, Sam. Uh, yes, I, I certainly see that. Uh, of course, a big concern in terms of this fight between Kemp and Purdue, especially as we go into the 2022 legislative session, would be the risk that uh, it forces uh, and results in you know, far-right uh, legislation that actually harms Georgians uh, being passed. Um, you know, I think I read something of which um, Speaker Ralston was considering some sort of constitutional carry that would bring even more guns into the state of Georgia. Uh, you know, all of these issues trying to politicize our schools rather than focusing on student achievement and actually fully funding um, edu- public education in the state of Georgia. So, you know, as a state legislator, it is concerning that, you know, it's going to be politics, um, Republican politics ultimately, that ultimately will likely obtain and suck up a lot of the time during the 2022 session, rather than a focus on good public policy, uh, which is so needed, um, especially as we're trying to get out of this pandemic. 
Um, so, Sam, I, I asked your colleague in the, U- in the State House, David Wilkerson, who was on the show yesterday, whether he fears that this feud between or fight between Purdue and uh, Kemp and how legislators maneuver on the Republican side of the aisle is going to have an impact on, on the legislation that uh, you'd like to accomplish next session. So one of the examples of that is that there's been a pretty general agreement that focusing on mental health and how Georgia can do a better job dealing with uh, mental health services could be important. The question is, could this Republican fight paralyze the entire session? I think there's a very high likelihood that that's a uh, possibility. Um, You know, Governor Kemp, he's the governor with the power of the pen, power of the veto. Um, and, And certainly, again, it's very concerning in terms of this kind of scorched earth approach during such a difficult time in which I think Georgians want good leadership that focuses on delivering results for, for the people. Uh, Stephen, you'll be covering at least some days, I assume, you'll be down at the Capitol. What do you think? Are we going to see a, a, a paralysis set in as Republicans, the Purdue Republicans, as opposed to the Kemp Republicans, maneuver for position? Well, everyone mm-hmm. under that gold dome is going to have to answer to voters twice in 2022 in a primary and hopefully for them in a general election. And so election years always see some sort of shenanigans beyond what you would normally see. You also have to remember the dynamic under the state uh, in the state house that you have to consider the most isn't Republican versus Democrat, it's House versus Senate. And in the House, you've got the longtime leader and Speaker David Ralston that knows how to keep the ship steady and look out for the Republican Party's greater interests, even when members have their own things they want to do. And in the Senate, you have an incredibly volatile chamber with fewer members, more factions and splits, and a new lieutenant governor incoming. So we've already seen you know, dueling proposals from senators running for higher office, like lieutenant governor, for things like abolishing the income tax, which just isn't going to happen, or uh, the Buckhead cityhood movement and things. And so I think uh, take the normal shenanigans of the legislative session, uh, multiply it by about two for it being an election year, and then multiply that by about infinity for it being really a decisive tipping point in Georgia politics. <laughs> All right. Uh, Stephen Fowler, you get the last word on this segment of Political Rewind. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Sam Park, um, I don't want to talk about it in great depth uh, today because we got other subjects I'd really like to get to. But I did mention at the top of the show, you're going to see your own primary challenge uh, in uh, in uh, uh, the seventh district, Gwinnett County, when uh, Lucy McBath faces off against incumbent uh, Carolyn Bordeaux. Just very quickly, because we'll talk about it in much more depth than shows coming up. Uh, how concerning is that to Democrats that we're going to see that primary unfold? I mean, I think ultimately it's going to be up to the voters in uh, this newly drawn 7th Congressional District um, as to, you know, who they think will best uh, serve their interests. Um, So, uh, you know, typically Democratic primaries, I don't think, have been as scorched earth or at least in recent memory as on the Republican side. Um, I I do think that the uh, debate will be focused more on uh, policy and what what each member wants to accomplish based on uh, their record. Um, and and what they've uh, delivered so far. Sam Park, 
very careful political answer. Thank you for that for right now. Look, we will we will get into this subject a lot more in the weeks ahead. But I, I want to turn to a couple of other stories. First, I think it's important to say on Pearl Harbor Day that, um, you know, we're all thinking about families who lost loved ones at the uh, December 7th attack at Pearl Harbor, some of whom are Georgians. And um, as always, we honor the service of uh, those uh, women and men who uh, took up the cause for uh, democracy in World War II. And I, I just didn't want the show to go by without at least mentioning that this is the 80th anniversary of the devastating attack at uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, okay, Tamar, uh, so the Department of Justice launched a new investigation of the Emmett Till case um, some time ago, and they did it because a University of North Carolina history professor and author wrote a book called The Blood of Emmett Till, Timothy Tyson. Timothy Tyson was actually a guest on my show back in 2017 when this book was first published. And one of the things he contended is that the woman who accused Emmett Till of in some way uh, making untoward advances toward her, Carol Bryant Donham, uh, recanted and had told him in an interview that it never happened uh, and that she now regretted it. So the Department of Justice opened a new investigation. They announced yesterday they could get nowhere with it. Carol Bryant now says, I didn't tell him that. I never said that. Um, and, and, and so the case remains one of the most poignant, heartbreaking attacks, racist attacks, um, lynchings in American history. And, uh, and, and we do know who the murderers are. We know that Carol Bryant's husband and his half-brother admitted that they uh, killed Emmett Till. Um, but there, there's not quite the kind of resolution you'd like to see around this question about what Carol Bryant uh, had said to Tyson. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's the sort of thing, I don't know how much the, the family was truly expecting to get any sort of resolution out of this. I know that um, the, the Justice Department's top civil rights official went down to, to deliver the news to the, the family in person. But certainly this is kind of a stain on American history and, and just kind of such a symbol for the, the awful racist nastiness of kind of where we were um, decades ago. And even just knowing, and this is something I didn't know until I read the, the story in the Times about it, was even kind of the, the markers in Mississippi kind of saying this is where all of this happened, keep getting defaced uh, with yeah. you know things like bullet holes often. So it goes to show just how much more work there there is on an issue like this. You know, Leo, one of the reasons that we remember Emmett Till um, so vividly is because of a very courageous decision by his mother, Mamie. Uh, he was, they were from Chicago. They had gone to come south just for a vacation, and, which, and it was then that Emmett Till was kidnapped and tor tortured and murdered. Um, and when they went back to Chicago, Mamie Till said to the funeral director, I want my son's coffin open. People have to see what hatred and bigotry is capable of producing. And, and that image of Emmett Till, a 15-year-old boy in that casket, uh, deformed as he was by this attack, uh, stays with us to this day, Leo. 
Yeah, these are very um, troubling histories that we have. And then when you look at the psychosocial aspect of um, this, this, this lady, and, you know, my heart even goes out for her and what she must have struggled with all her life in, these, in, in living with what, uh, you know, that author is, you know, arguing that is perhaps a, an incredible lie that divided us and keeps us from moving on. And then how we're faced with when there's a moment to publicly come forth um, that people aren't willing to uh, be publicly accountable for things that they might say I'm privately accountable for. And that, again, I mean, it kind of brings us right back to where we are with the xenophobia and the demographic shifts and the partisanship where people are willing to say something privately that makes them seem like a rational person, a good person, a moral person, but then when they are asked to act publicly or in, within the, the justice system, they, they take a different defense. And uh, we have to rise up to a new level of character in America. Yeah, you know, Sam and Stephen, it, it strikes me that the photographs of Emmett Till, which his mother allowed to be made after he was killed, um, there's something about them that are similar to what the, the Ahmad Arbery video of the attack, which led to his death in the sense that a record, in one case a photograph and the other a video, has shown us clearly and vividly and brought to national attention uh, the, the horrors of racial attacks. So I think especially the story of Emmett Till is something in which um, we have to teach and we have to know, especially if we want to avoid repeating the mistakes of the past. Um, certainly, you know, the, the shadow of slavery, of segregation, of Jim Crow continues to cast a very long shadow in which we saw yet another killing of a black man just because he was out for a job. Um, at the very least, there was some level of justice delivered in which his murder, Arbery's murderers uh, were convicted. Um, but yet again, I think it's so important, especially in this moment of such hyper-partisanship and divisiveness, um, that we know uh, our history um, as, as, as terrible and as horrific as it is at times, uh, again, to ensure that we can um, see clear-eyed with the current problems that we face to ensure that we do not move backwards. And I, I think it's important to note that, I mean, the civil rights era, people that were on the front lines of both support and opposition to the civil rights movement are still alive. And I think it's easy to think of that as something in the past rather than a living history that we have. And so uh, I think when we look at today's politics and the divisiveness and things, you know, it's important to consider some of the same people that were so vehemently opposed to civil rights of black people are still alive to this day. And in some cases, positions of power or within voting power. And I think uh, also people that fought for those rights and lived through the brutality of the civil rights era are still fighting some of those same battles 50 years later. But, you know, to Bill's point about the documentation of things, it, it has become almost a ritual at this point, that some sort of documentation of injustice emerges after the fact and gains the national attention and moves the needle slightly, or in the case of Maude Arbery, moves it a long way. And I, I think it's important to note the role of things like television and social media and things that do bring to light things that would be so easy for people to just ignore, you know, uh, yeah. just to not consider. Well, thank you all uh, for, for that. Um, 
finally, b- before we end the show today, you know, we've talked a lot about the fact on this show that, um, and many people already understand this, that politics is moving uh, to extremes on both sides of the aisle. And I, I thought there were two interesting examples of that that we can talk just briefly about now because we have very little time. Um, three new members of the Atlanta City Council were supported by a progr- new progressive organization, Tamar, called the Georgia Working Families uh, Party. And in fact, they also supported um, a the new uh, mayor of South Fulton County, Khalid Kamau, who describes himself for as a democratic socialist for, for a long time. He was a really devoted listener to this show and used to send me lots of messages. We haven't heard from him for a while. But here's a party on the left that has made great strides. On the other hand, Chester Bowles, a former leader of the KKK, a supporter of the Nazi party, uh, you know, a neo-Nazi, has announced he's running for commissioner in Lumpkin County. He says he's reformed. And while normally we wouldn't pay a lot of attention to that, um, the fact of the matter is there's been kind of a mainstreaming of extremists on the right. So we don't know what's going to happen there. But I just thought, tomorrow, those are two examples of how our politics move further and further to the extremes. And by I mean, the way, wait, I, I'd be able to be careful. I, I apologize. I am not suggesting there's a similarity between the Georgia Working Families Party on the left and, and Chester Bowles on the right. And I just realized as I said that, I sounded like I was making that comparison. But they are to the left of a lot of more mainstream Democrats. I was going to say Chester Doles was the former leader of the Ku Klux Klan and the neo-Nazi yeah, National Alliance. Yeah, I apologize. So oh, a little, a little I bit apologize. different. Um, to me, <laughs> to, to me, I mean, uh, yes, with Chester Doles, especially a lot of the language he's using, very reminiscent of something we've seen from people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or even more mainstream Republican politicians talking about things like fighting socialism, no more critical race theory in schools. Um, to me, the parallels between him and what we heard from David Duke in Louisiana when he was running for office and president are very striking. He talks about how he's reformed. Um, and yet, um, you know, a lot of his former supporters kind of went with him. Yeah, I spent a lot of time covering that governor's race between uh, David Duke and Edward Edwards back in 1991. And David Duke was a frightening character to cover. Uh, I, I, before we end it, I do need to be more clear. I really apologize uh, to the people of the Georgia Working Families Party. Please don't tweet me. Don't send me notes. I, I did go a little bit far in the way what sounded like a comparison. That is not, in fact, appropriate at all. Um, all right. We're out of time for today's show. Uh, Sam, Sam Park, Leo Smith, Stephen Fowler, Tamar Hallerman, thank you for being with us uh, today. Um, We're, of course, back with another show tomorrow. In the meantime, my thanks to Natalie Mendenhall, to Sam Burmis-Dawes, to Jesse Neiswanger, and Sarah Callis for the great work they do each and every day on Political Rewind. Um, Until we're back again with a new show tomorrow, please take care and stay healthy. See you all tomorrow.